Welcome to The Drift, a Starfinder podcast presented by NerdsOnEarth.com. After all the waiting, Starfinder is finally here, and we have assembled the nerds to give their first impressions of Paizo's Starfinder core rulebook and the system it reveals. Well, today on The Drift, we are going to talk about the launch of the Paizo product Starfinder, which we've been talking about for months ahead of time here on the podcast. And today, I'm really honored to be surrounded by a bunch of great nerds as we're going to talk about the release of the game uh, last week at Gen Con and kind of some of our early first impressions. So today, I'm joined by uh, Earth Nerd Atkins. Yep, I am here. Earth Nerd Clave. Hello, nerds. And... Uh, a new contributor to the site, uh, Fields. Ah, nice to be here, fellas. And our awesome audio engineer, Andrew. Hello, hello. So uh, a couple notes here. So one of the things that's interesting about the launch of Starfinder is they sold out at Gen Con, um, not over the course of four days, but in six and a half hours. And all the talk out of Paizo is that they brought more product with them for this launch than anything they had ever done by at least another 50%. And yet they sold out of it um, that quickly. So it's really kind of stunning to think about. Um, There's a lot of talk even now that it may take them a little while to catch back up to demand uh, that they've used basically all their supply and they're having to cut second printings. I've even seen if you go on eBay, people are starting to sell core rule books for uh, at or above market price. And there's a, the core edition limited books are going for, three to four times what somebody might have paid for them. So uh, needless to say, uh, demand's pretty high. So when that happened at Gen Con, what did you guys hear through the grapevine and what were your impressions um, of the launch of the product? I, uh, I had heard about the complete sellout on the floor and all that my mind was concerned with was the fact that mine was being shipped as that was going on. So uh, I took comfort in that. I actually at the time had uh, a copy of the core rule book from a friend of mine in hand. So uh, I held it close to my chest and petted a couple times and stuck my tongue out at the folks who, who had the experience of Gen Con, but left without the core rule book that I had shipped to my front door. Yeah, and that's a thing to note moving forward. One of the things Paizo does is they will ship directly product early if you're uh, subscribed or you place an order through them. So I actually got a limited edition core rule book about a week before launch, um, just because I had placed an order through their website. So something to think about. Uh, Clay, what did you think about as you kind of heard the rumors and, and the experience there? Yeah, first of all, I went into complete depression because I wasn't at Gen Con and I wanted to play the scenarios. Uh, but I got the book early as well and I literally carried it around with me. for <laughs> From the day I got it, I had it with me in my bag. I had it at my nightstand. Uh, I had it with me the entire time, just flipping through, checking it out. Just And what I heard from everyone else, it was the same thing, just excitement across the board. Yeah, definitely. So, Fields, I know that you didn't get your hands on a copy right away. Um, tell me, were you a little nervous about your friendly local game shop selling your copy out from under you? I wasn't worried about them selling it 
But uh, yeah, no, you guys definitely heard some of the weeping and gnashing of teeth <laughs> that I had going on. I wanted to support my friendly local game store, so I ordered it there. And I was really wanting it because you guys were talking about getting ready for this game that Jason, you're going to run us through. I was really excited about that. And then, because it came from the West Coast, my store got it late. Oh. Yeah. I was... Uh, Problems. I was really sad. Really sad. So let's talk some about the core rulebook. First thing is it, it is a massive volume. Um, I think all total, it's over 500 pages. But it's that in part because there's lots of different pieces. Um, so one part, obviously, is the, the basic core rules. Uh, what you would get in any of the like core rule books that Paizo's put out, or if you're a D&D fan and the player's handbook, sort of sets up the basic things. So let's talk about that section first. What did you think about the core rule books and especially the races, um, the classes, and the character creation? Uh, I mean, that was, I'll be honest, it was the part that I was the most excited about. I heard you guys were like, oh, you need to go and read the environmental. And, you know, it's just like, whatever, I'm going to keep reading races and classes because that's all I want to do is roll characters all day. Um, and that's all I did all day yesterday was make characters. Uh, I thought that the uh, the single or might have been, you know, a, a full splash page walk through of the, these are the steps you need to take in these in this order in order to create generate these characters was super simple uh they included all the page number references so you could flip straight uh, straight to the feats and straight to the skills and explanations for all this stuff that went into whatever character that you were trying to make um it was as simple as it could be i understand that it's it's different right moving from a 5e character generation uh to a starfinder one uh there's a learning curve uh, and I imagine it'll be a lot steeper for folks who aren't making characters as frequently as we tend to but it made it as simple as I thought it could be I mean I don't know how you strip it any more bare than it was um, make it any more clear than it is so uh, the core rule stuff the the tactical rules all I mean that whole portion of the book is very excellently done yeah Clay what did you think as you kind of delved into that part of the book uh, well, first of all, you you have a total panic attack because as a nerd, you can't survive in a world where you don't understand things fully. <laughs> and uh, so it was new. And so I'm like, with, oh, how, do, how does this work? And then after 15 minutes, you realize it's not that different. You roll your D20, you add your modifier, you have an armor class, even though they're two, they're logical, they make sense. Uh, and so you realize just how familiar it is which was comforting and good, but it also does a lot of great things well. There are differences that are good. And so after I got over that quick little, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do everything perfectly the first time, I relaxed, looked through the book, and Andrew actually came over to build a character, and he and I went through the step-by-step, easy-peasy. We're good to go, we think, even though obviously we don't know the the edge rule cases, you know, the 75% core of it, like I got this. You roll your D20, you add your modifier. Yeah, so Andrew, you have played Pathfinder before. How did you, shifting from Pathfinder over to Starfinder, what, what, how did that process feel for you? Um, it didn't feel too clunky. I thought, it, I thought it worked pretty well. It was good being there with Clave just to, to get some veteran nerd help on building the character, but I thought it went pretty smoothly. 
I am I'm playing a Yasoki character, so there's a few other things that I'm still trying to work out. Uh, like exactly how ability scores and stuff work on drones. But, uh, yeah. but I found the whole process to be pretty simple. You know, it really does kind of, if you follow the rules of building the character, it holds your hand and walks you through it pretty well. So, Yeah, and Fields, I know you sort of had an idea for a character before you ever had the rule book. Like how, did, how was it taking that idea and bringing it to life using the, the process? Uh, it was actually easier than I thought it would be. Uh, all I knew before I got the book was the things that you had shared on the drift. I hadn't even really poked around the web that much to read any other stuff. But from what you talked about, the Android sounded cool, the Envoys. And uh, then when I got the book, noticing the pluses and minuses, those kind of things, that it wasn't something that was going to be min-maxed. And so that was kind of exciting, too. Sure. Straight out the gate, I'm going to break it and do something different. Um, but, yeah, hopefully uh, I, I agree with Mike that it was really easy following the steps through there. I'm used to coming at games from a really simpler rule set. Uh, I'm, I've started running therapeutic games for kids, so I'm looking for ways to really highlight the story and to get the mechanics out of the way. But the way that this was set up... Um, because I had some experience, it was easy uh, enough for me to get through, and I think I could, I think I could probably get a group running on this relatively easy too. Yeah, I, I think one of the things too is I look through it, and as so I knew I was going to be DMing and not necessarily creating characters right away. There's a lot of options that are available by the time you combine the different classes, races, and some of the other options that are out there. So it feels from the get-go to me, like be a pretty robust system. You can make a lot of different kinds of characters in the system. And that's, and then in the back of the book, there's even sort of a guidelines to take some of those core Pathfinder races and bring them into the book. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic to look at and to think about. Also, I think it, one of the things that we haven't talked about at all is this is a really beautiful book. Um, when, when you really look at it, the amount of energy and time that they've invested in art uh, really stands out. There are several spots as you change sections where you get some full color, you know, two page spreads that are as good as anything you would see in some of the best comic books today. And I, and I think Paizo deserves a lot of credit for working to make that uh, look good. But also there's some functionality that I think is built into the book. So if you have a copy of the book on the right side when it's open to you, there are indexes that are color-coded by the section you're in. And to me, it, it makes finding something, is some a couple times I've needed to look something up as a DM, it's really easy to find the right red section and flip over versus where other books, I just sort of have pages memorized because I've had to do it so many times. I, I think it's really interesting to, to see how they've launched this and, and gone that direction. Um, without a doubt, though, we all would love for Hero Lab to get on board as quickly as possible. Word on the street from them is uh, end of September, there's going to be a beta test of their uh, character creation process, and it'll be on their no new format, which will be all online. So there's some grumblings about what that'll be like and how that'll go. But, um, but as nerds who love to make lots of different all kinds of characters... We would love to see that process happen, you know, sooner rather than later or something similar. Maybe somebody else is going to come along and make a competitor. 
that, that'll make that happen. So that's a, that's a first kind of chunk of the book for sure. The, the second part that I think is really interesting is they had to put in a whole new mechanic that they didn't talk a lot about before re- release, which is uh, starships. So, um, Clave? Well, to go back to the tabbing, when I got my book, the first thing I did was flip through it. And I saw the art, and not to be dramatic, but I think a tear ran down my cheek. It's just a beautiful book, and the art direction is A++. But then as those tabs, I hit on the Starship tab, and that was the first chapter I read. I didn't go any further than Starships, because I'm like, we get to do combat in space, in Starships. This is the best. So I read Starship chapter first, then I went to Equipment, and then I think I read the setting and then i went to page one um but that starship chapter it's just a lot of fun it is and and as i've delved into it obviously trying to understand the rules as we get ready to play uh the starship part is going to be really interesting in that it's just a whole different dynamic and it it's similar to some other games but it's also it's not a full-on system where it's super um, rules intensive. So, Mike uh, Fields, I know you've played some of other games that are Starship combat related. Like, w- what are you looking forward to in Starfinder compared to maybe some of those? Well, I was a big uh, X-wing player back yeah. in the day. I haven't played in in a while, but uh, I used to be a competitive player. And by competitive, I mean I would go to tournaments and get beat. Uh, but it was <laughs> a lot of fun. Pushing chips around the table, you know, making the pew pew noises. Uh, so when I saw that was part of this game, yeah, definitely really excited. I don't get as much time to play X Wing anymore, so getting to combine those, put it into something else, uh, is really exciting. But because I didn't get my book until just this week, uh, I have not read that section yet. Uh, I did look ahead when I was planning my character to try and see. Uh, if there was a role I could fit in as and keep that in the back of my mind. But yeah, I, I'm still really curious and excited to see how that is similar to X-Wing and how it's different. You get nerd points for X-Wing though. That's <laughs> <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. So as a DM, like I wanted to really make sure I understood those rules. And so I've read through them and done different things. I think they've done what we had talked about lots of times. They've done a really interesting job in that, Every every player potentially has the ability to uh, to play a role in combat, and then and then how they've laid out combat, it kind of works in a certain pattern, makes a lot of sense to me as well. So I, I'm really curious when we play to to see how that plays out. So starships for sure, and I and I know too that um, <clears throat> Clave really would uh, like to just build starships all day. So Hero Lab should make sure to include that in their uh, process as well. If I could do that as a full-time job, I'm <laughs> in. So we'll work on it, hopefully. Um, so then you get to the other parts of the uh, the book. You get equipment, which is to be you know understood as you're building out characters. You also get some really good information, I think, in terms of setting. Um, Paizo had done a lot on their blog to talk about where and when the, the game's going to be set. But there was a lot of stuff I was surprised to read through the book for the the first time that they didn't talk about. There's some really cool history things. 
um, especially if you're going to play a homebrew campaign in their world. I think there's a lot of stuff to build on. As a DM, like I, I kind of keep a running list on a on an app I use of like ideas, and and there are definitely things I went, oh, that's a great idea. Like I, I could take that thought and go somewhere else with it. So um, I think it's going to be really curious to see how that continues to play out because the reality is they are putting out a lot of adventures between Starfinder Society stuff, the um, the adventure path, but there's also I think. Um, there's going to be a place for for people to create some new things as well. So it'll be uh, a unique experience for a game that has the launch this one has at the high level of popularity to not have maybe the tons of content and playable content that's out there right away. So definitely uh, something for us to think about. One of the things that I think is interesting about the setting is this is new. It's not fantasy. Uh, we've got sci-fi, so there's a new element to it for sure. But reading through the history that they've designed, there really is a lot that we can relate to in today's political climate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of things like identity. You know, how do we see ourselves? How do we define ourselves? Uh, civil rights, all those play a big part. Uh, and then this diverse group of people, how they band together. Uh, and it's not just the party, but the different planets in the packed worlds, uh, how they join together to face a common threat. So even though it is so exotic, there still is a lot that I believe game masters and players for their own characters can really connect to in the game. Yeah, I, I mean, so to give you an example, if you take the Vesk race, they for a long time were uh, kind of at battle with the Planetary Coalition and everything. Um, so it's conceivable if you have a character that's, say, 50 years old in the game terms, um, they were a young soldier when those wars were still being fought. You know, how does that impact them? How does that, you know, change who they are? And, like, how do they how do they really feel? Are they a brown coat <laughs> equivalent? You know, all right, I'm just wrong for the ride because we lost the war. Or, you know, or is there more there? I think there's a lot of stuff that as I read through that that section that really popped to, to make me kind of think about, man, um, there's also a great timeline that they laid out that looks great and fantastic. It's a two-page spread that helps again. And we've talked about the, the whole gap idea that they're slowly, I think slowly they're going to fill that in. But uh, it's an interesting dynamic of there's this huge chunk of history that everybody's lost. And uh, I'm curious to see kind of how Adventure Pass and Adventures fill that in over time. Uh, what are some other thoughts you guys have about the book? Is there anything that um, you wanted to talk about that stood out to you? The artwork is, is definitely amazing. The layout, yeah, you guys talked about how easy it is to flip around and see the different sections. But coming from uh, simpler game systems, one that I'm using right now with groups is Meddling Kids. Uh, the author is actually local in Atlanta, so that's really cool. Uh, but that system is really rules light it's really simple easy to get into and that was the last book i purchased before this <laughs> and then hearing 500 what is it 28 pages coming whoo that was really intimidating but once i got my hands on the book uh looking through it it really is organized well uh, you don't need to read the whole 528 pages. And uh, there are really different sections that 
in a different system would probably be another book. There's a section in there about running a game. There's a section in there about magic, about the settings, about different creatures. So if you're a player, it's really not that much to dig into. Uh, however, for a game master, bless you, brother, uh, there's a lot of stuff you got to know. Yeah, I would say that is one of the things that, that's too – I mean, so at launch, they needed to have so much in it. One of the sections is, you know, creatures, aliens, basically. Like, it's the equivalent of a monster manual or a bestiary. You know, they wanted to, at launch, have some of that in the book. So you, you get a flavor for that. And um, the iconic space goblin that they've now put on a T-shirt, it's really interesting – um, it looks like this is a space goblin. You kind of go, oh, that's not much of a threat. And then we looked at the statistics on it the other day and thought, this thing is a party killer at low levels. Um, so I, I like the band-aided goblin and just the idea that it's uh, it's going to wreck some people that take it for granted. Uh, Clay, you had some thoughts? Well, you know, there's some difficult things. And by difficult, I mean the skills and feats. You're like, okay, sure. I'll read that section twice, uh, which <laughs> yes. is not entirely different than, than Pathfinder. You know, to really know that what each one does, uh, all your modifiers work, it just takes a little moment. <clears throat> and so that skills and feats. Um, you know, the, the magic and spells, I'm not exactly sure how all the, the spells work. So those are just going to be situations that take some time. But in terms of crunchy stuff and how things work, Resolve points, stamina points, and hit points. Resolve points are golden. There's certain high-level uh, maneuvers that cost a resolve point. But if you go down, your saving throws are... Life and death is built off of resolve points. And so they're, they are your precious commodity. Like if you burn all those resolve points and you go down, it's game over. So I think there's just going to be some interesting things as we play into this and learn, okay, how does the math work? Like, what are the limiting factors? What are in abundance? Uh, but my early uh, eyeball said that the resolve points, I'm going to be thinking about that as I play. Like, how do I, how do I either uh, conserve those? When do I burn them? Um, when are they best used? And that's one thing I have a question on. But I like it. I like it. I'm excited about it. I just don't feel confident in it yet. It is like as, as a DM reading through it, uh, the thing that stood out to me about that function section is um, death could be much more prevalent among player characters if you're not managing those resources well. I mean, the reality is if, if you hit at zero resolve points um, and your HP go down, you, you you're toast. It's a uh, there's not a lot that can be done to to help you there. Yeah, uh, and just this is just. It doesn't have anything to do with resolve points, but piling in on something that I really loved about the book was the equipment section. And I know, Jones, you touched on that earlier. I had a love-hate relationship with that section of the book when I was making my first character because unlike 5E where it's like, oh, because you're this class, you get this stuff, right? You just auto, It's like an auto loadout. Um, in this, you just get 1,000 credits, and you got to spend that you know, to give you literally all of the things, armor, melee weapon, ranged weapon, whatever it might be. And it felt really limiting because you're capped by a, a level for all your gear, including weapons. Uh, so initially, it's a lot of us are going to have very similar loadouts because the, there's only so many level one things. But as 
as you keep reading through that book, especially uh, getting into things like augmentations and, uh, you know, artificial limbs, there is a ton more variety to load out potential built into this system uh, than there is in 5e period. Like it's not even a close race. I mean, Starfinder gives you a thousand options to D&D's 10. I mean, it, it is it is light years more flexibility and malleability when it comes to uh, getting your character armed and armored. And I am so excited to get to some of those higher levels and dig into uh, a little deeper into those charts where, you know, armor at different levels and powered armor and, you know, greater capacity for damage and capacity for ammunition and weapons. All that stuff has me super, super excited to level up, like even more than, you know, some of my class stuff. I'm just like, I want to get more gear. That's where I want to go. Well, and I, th- I think too, is you look at the leveling up system, it is, um, it's going to be slower than I think a lot of people would think. Um, I've kind of looked at it and did some math just trying to figure out as I'm DMing if I played through everything that's out there. I, I, everything would almost have to go perfect to get characters to the verge of fourth level by the time the second adventure path comes out. So I think it's interesting. They, they seem to have on purpose decided they're going to slow play character growth and leveling up. But... I think also as you gain coin and, you know, credits, you'll be able to do some things to upgrade your characters without it being a level up dynamic, which I think is an interesting choice by them. No, I just want to pile on the equipment was just a great section. And yeah, the augmentation, all those sort of things feels very science fiction. I loved it. I'm like, this is great. But then at the lower levels, like I'm going through my thousand credits thinking about armor i'm like well it's second skin or second skin you know i mean that's yeah. the, you know you're already trying to go through your head and be like okay where's my best bang for the buck what's the best equipment and even as and when andrew came over to build his character we were talking through that and we're like okay there's some logical choices early levels where you want to spend the bulk of your thousand credits but then andrew had um, this other option of building a drone, which was a lot of fun. Obviously, you know, he's playing the quote-unquote pet class. Right. Uh, but the drone was fun, too. It gives it another piece of flexibility. Yeah, and I, you know, when I, when I was building my my Lashunta Solarian, it came with a melee weapon, so I had a little bit more cash. And so I started thinking about, okay, what augmentations would my character have, you know, spent those bucks on? based on the story that I wrote for her. Uh, and so, like, my character has uh, dark vision as an armor upgrade, not because it was, she just... In, because of her backstory, it makes sense for her to be able to see in the dark. It makes sense for her also to have the uh, the opportunity or the option to breathe underwater. So she has gills, you know? And that is just a cool thing. It's just like, here's this money, now I can breathe underwater, you know? Like, how how badly did the GCP guys wish that they had that, you know, two episodes ago? They're just like, oh, don't worry about it. Save your spell slots. I can breathe underwater. You know, that's such a cool thing. Yeah, and before you send in all the notes, he meant infrared, not dark vision. Well, infrared is the is the the little, what do you call it, the armor upgrade, yeah. but it grants dark vision. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. You really could. I mean, somebody's going to sit down and do all the math of potential first-level characters and options. And uh, there's just so much out there that you you could do and play with. I I think 
to me, that's one of the things that's great about a system as you jump into it is it can do so many different kinds of things. So if you are coming clean and just want to build out a character, great. If you sort of have an idea uh, of what you would like, you can build that as well. So I, I think that's been a thing you, you've seen a lot. As, um, as I've been watching and reading Twitter throughout the uh, the last week or so when the game's been out, it's really fun to watch people get excited about the game and um and talk about like hey here's my first character and this is why I picked what I did um, and sharing some of those kinds of things so I think it's been a it's been a really successful launch for Paizo they clearly seem to be investing in it um, one of the things we didn't mention is that at uh, Gen Con it was announced that the next Glass Cannon podcast who we're friends with that they're uh, they're going to do the adventure path for the Starfinder the first one um, when they hit their next uh, patreon goal which they have done so they are prepping and i'm sure that's going to happen soon so it's going to be really interesting to see where this game goes from here um there's several podcasts that are already playing through the adventure path um cosmic crit is one that we've kind of uh, watched and listened to and uh and i think part of what is going to differentiate some of those is you know what are the characters like what are they choosing to play you know and their their run-throughs and their their options. So I think that that's uh, something to look forward to if you're really going to go all in on Starfinder. Yeah. And options, I think is like a, maybe a buzzword or a key idea for the whole game. Um, different people playing different things. You're not locked into if you're a fighter that you can only, uh, you're only doing melee stuff, but you can be a medic. Uh, you could have some magic in there. There's all kinds of ways to go. And at every level you upgrade, there's different skill options. You get feats pretty frequently, uh, different equipment. There's all kinds of ways that you can build. When I was trying to plan out my character, I ended up giving on deciding a path, which from a story perspective, I felt really freeing. Um, I don't have to decide now where I want to be when I'm 15th level. That can be led by the party and the story. And all that can have a greater influence, uh, at least from having the choices, the options through gear and features and skills and all that kind of stuff. I can really start with one thing and take that just about anywhere. I love that liberty. Yeah, and I like that you talk about that uh, that idea of, uh, you know, I've got friends who will build out a character from level one to level 20 and they just got this roadmap of this is what I'm going to do. This is the gear. This is the feats that I'm going to, you know, and that's, that's a, that's one way to do it. But I really do like the idea of, all right, given my backstory, this is who I am at the beginning, who I become from this point on is flexible. It's malleable. It's, it's determined maybe not by this perfect roadmap of how to make uh, the, the best use of, you know, my, uh, my ability scores and my equipment and feats that I might be able to take and some of these level, uh, you know, class bonuses that I'll get later on. But instead of letting that narrative shape your character, just like the narrative of your real life shapes and determines who you are to a degree. Um, and, and I would encourage people, some of the things that I've seen out there is people are jumping in and playing the game with um, characters that are already like level four and above. And, and honestly, I think it's um, 
I, I'm glad of the game that we're going to run, that we're going to start at level ones. And yeah, there's a, a higher risk of things happening and, and you know, your characters are going to be a little squishy and uh, fragile. But I like the idea of it will help us better get a feel for the game and the mechanics. I mean, it's one thing to, to play a game like Starfinder at a higher level where, you know, you've already got enough hit points that you could take us a couple serious hits. I, I like the idea of playing at a lower level. It helps you um, grow as a character, grow as a, you know, as you learn the rules. I, I think that's a huge part and as a tactical standpoint. I, th I think there's some value in, um, in playing at low levels than a lot of games that sometimes gets jumped and people go right away to higher. Yeah, downside, death is really near. Uh, <laughs> the upside, there's so many options. You die, cool, create something totally different, explore something else. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a backup character ready, um, just in case something happens. But uh, I, I do think it's uh, there's a lot of potential and a lot of options. Um, any, anybody else? Any other thoughts? Uh, so the next big thing we would know from them in terms of what's coming next for Starfinder is uh, this fall we'll get the Alien Archive, the equivalent of the Monster Manual. So we're looking forward to hearing more about that. It, it should open up and broaden out, I think, some stories and some potential stories even more that I think could, uh, could hold a lot. But between now and then, there's a lot of great uh, games to be played, either through the adventure path or the scenarios that they released in Starfinder Society, or if you're homebrewing your own thing. And uh, I would encourage you, if, if you like tabletop role-playing games, Starfinder is definitely one to jump into and to, to test out. Um, and we didn't even talk about, we talked about the physical book. Uh, you can get a PDF of the whole book for 10 bucks, which is um, ridiculously cheap and it covers everything you need. Um, I would encourage you, even if you're on the fence about it, spend that 10 bucks, get a PDF of it. You can look at it on a tablet, on your computer. Um, it really is a, a, a beautiful product to have and a, and a game system I think a lot of us are looking forward to learning about. So any uh, closing thoughts as we kind of go around here? Let's, uh, you know, I, I'm ready to uh, put the put the lid on the drift so that we can get to the scenarios myself. <laughs> we play right after this, so I vote we just wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we are anxiously awaiting actually playing, so uh, we're going to uh, now uh, close off this episode. Thanks to everybody for being on it today. Um, you can learn more about all of what we do on uh, our website, nerdsonearth.com where uh, we talk about all the nerdy things in your life, including tabletop role-playing games and Starfinder in particular. And so uh, thanks, everybody, for being on the show today. Pleasure. You've been listening to The Drift, presented by NerdsOnEarth.com, where you can find all kinds of nerd goodness, as well as read articles and thoughts from all of the panel from today's episode. You can always find out more by following us on Twitter at OutInTheDrift. Special thanks to Andrew Danielson, our audio engineer, for his hard work, as well as composing our amazing theme song. You can learn more about him and his work at DanielsonSound.com. Join us next time as we delve into playing Starfinder and understand more of its unique setting.